You're listening to the Yoga Teacher Resource Podcast. Knowledge, techniques, and inspiration for your teaching and your practice. I'm your host, Mado Hesselink. If you're a yoga teacher who loves learning, is passionate about spreading the benefits of yoga, and desires more resources to support your teaching, you're in the right place. Let's get started with today's episode. Self-care is a big buzzword these days. And in a way, I think that's really awesome. There is a epidemic of people overstressed who need to spend time taking care of themselves and, and thinking of their bodies in a different way. With most trendy topics, there are a lot of different interpretations about what it means, and people's definitions usually happen to coincide with their own best interest. Now, I'm not pretending to be the one expert to tell you what self-care should mean to you, but I'm going to share my thoughts on self-care through the lens of yoga studies and what it means as a yoga teacher. The most basic way that I describe self-care is that it is monitoring my own nervous system to notice when I need to ramp up the sympathetic versus the parasympathetic side of the autonomic nervous system and taking the actions that I know work for me to create more balance. As a refresher for those of you familiar with the nervous system and maybe a primer in case you haven't been exposed to this information, your nervous system is basically the mainframe computer of your body. It interprets input and it determines output. Inputs the information gathered by sensory nerves and output is every movement process and function of your body. Your nervous system operates electrically and the way that it actually functions <laughs> is incredibly complicated, very much outside of the scope of this podcast. But it is also really, really interesting and fascinating. So I want to encourage you to study the nervous system as a yoga teacher. Take whatever opportunities you can to learn more about the mainframe computer that organizes and creates and controls every aspect of our life. In order to understand the nervous system, we divide and subdivide it into categories. The primary categories are the central nervous system and the peripheral nervous system. Just like it sounds, the central nervous system or the CNS is the most central part, the brain and the spinal column, while the peripheral nervous system is everywhere else, all the way out to the edges or the periphery. The PNS, or peripheral nervous system, is further divided into autonomic and somatic. The autonomic nervous system, which sounds kind of like automatic, governs the internal functions that are theoretically outside of your conscious control, such as your heart rate and the release of chemicals like cortisol and dopamine. The somatic nervous system senses and creates conscious movement, like when you're reaching for your phone to listen to a podcast and pretty much everything else you do, whether it's by habit or by conscious choice. When you move, if it's a movement that you could stop or a movement that you could initiate on purpose, that is the somatic nervous system. Although we think of and consider the autonomic nervous system to be outside of our conscious control, like I just mentioned, there are indirect ways to influence our state of arousal or relaxation. In fact, many yogic practices are designed to do exactly that. Yoga 
and yogic practices tend to be especially effective at activating the parasympathetic nervous system, that rest and restore function of the body, which is more dominant when we feel safe. The major nerve governing the parasympathetic nervous system, and the one getting a lot of attention these days, is known as cranial nerve 10 or the vagus nerve. There are actually two of them, one on each side of the body, but it's usually referred to in the singular. The word vagus comes from the same root as vagrant and vagabond, and it's remembered as the wandering nerve because it's the longest nerve in the autonomic nervous system. Possibly the most important function of the vagus nerve is that it slows your heart rate. And then there's another nerve that increases your heart rate. The increased heart rate is a function of the sympathetic nervous system. So you can see that the sympathetic and the parasympathetic nervous system they kind of work like the gas and the brakes of your car, but it's more complex than that because they can both be active at the same time, whereas in your car, you don't want to press your gas and your brakes at the same time. Now, depending on our intention and our approach, we can also use yogic practices to activate the sympathetic nervous system. And that is sometimes described as the fight or flight side, but it's also dominant during goal-oriented behavior. For accuracy, the nervous system is super complex. We're constantly learning more about this unfathomably intricate system. In the process of simplifying, there's always some loss of accuracy, but it is necessary to help us understand it. Over time, we can increase our understanding by layering complexity and nuance in. So if you are interested in this topic, I really hope that you'll make a point to continue studying the structure and the function of the human nervous system because it is such a vital component of why we do yoga and understanding the nervous system better can i believe definitely make you a better yoga teacher and it can really help you to figure out which practices to use for yourself at which times and which practices to offer for your students in yoga, we often talk about abhyasa or practice happening over a long period of time, this consistency of practice. And as someone who's been practicing yoga for about 20 years, I think it takes, gosh, I mean, at least 10 for this to really start to sink in. And that's tough in a world where everybody wants immediate results. But over time, we start to develop more and more of a relationship with our own nervous system. And maybe that just happens through getting older. I'm 41 now. So maybe it's just, maybe other people do it too through different ways. The way that I've done it is through the lens of my yogic practices. So what's happened is that I have become more sensitive to the subtle shifts between the sympathetic and the parasympathetic sides of my nervous system. Over time, I've started to notice when I'm headed into overdrive and towards depletion. And I do believe that the modern self-care movement is a reaction to the push, push, push of the goal-oriented Western culture. The forces acting on our behavior here in the developed world really tend towards sympathetic activation or what's commonly called arousal. If you watch the news on television, for example, that is designed from start to finish to get you activated in a sympathetic way. Sympathetic activation isn't a bad thing. It's essential for our survival. It's 
also important for our ability to accomplish anything, whether it be the daily chores of living or making an impact in the world. However, the epidemic of stress that many people turn to yoga for help from is basically long-term chronic sympathetic dominance. And in my personal experience, I also find that the opposite of parasympathetic dominance is related to depression. So while we often focus in yoga and in discussions on self-care on increasing parasympathetic activation, both are important. And one of the gifts of yoga, in my experience, is being able to find more balance between the two. And in case this terminology is new, I just want to be super clear. Don't be misled by the word activation. Parasympathetic activation is the same thing as relaxation, while sympathetic activation is, you know, what we think of as activation or being hyped up. So what do I mean by a balance between sympathetic and parasympathetic? What I mean is a level of alertness and relaxation that is appropriate for a given situation and whatever task you're trying to accomplish or non-accomplish. If you're riding a bicycle through city streets, you need a lot of sympathetic activation. That would be appropriate. Yeah, you want to be a little relaxed, but you definitely don't want to be too relaxed. At the end of a yoga class, on the other hand, you want a lot of relaxation and just enough alertness that you're not asleep. Sometimes you'll notice that you're overly alert for a situation. You're hypervigilant, you're anxious or frenzied. Other times you'll have a hard time summoning focus and the will to get things done. Your commitment to noticing where you fall on this spectrum and taking action based on the state of being that will be optimal for the present moment, that is what I call self-care. One way that I've seen the word self-care used in a way that I think is misleading and maybe even potentially harmful is by the beauty industry. There tends to be a subtle and totally understandable oversimplification that self-care is just about taking care of yourself. So by this definition, getting your hair done or your nails done is self-care. And yeah, it kind of could be for some people, but if self-care is conflated with purchasing beauty products and services, it becomes a product of privilege and the people who need it most are likely to turn away from the idea as just another rich white lady trend. If you think in extremes, then of course there is some level of privilege required for self-care, but... I believe that it can be and should be accessible to almost anyone. Self-care can be saying no to a social engagement when you're an introvert and you need alone time. It could be trading childcare with your best friend so you can get a long, hot bath by yourself. It could be forcing yourself out the door for a walk even though you'd rather sit on the couch and browse social media. Yes, it could be getting your hair cut and colored if you think it helps you regulate your nervous system. Um, for me, none of these beauty rituals are particularly pleasant. I get my hair cut, I get my brows done, but I think of that as a privilege. I think of that as grooming and I don't think of it as self-care. To some degree, grooming is optional as you would notice if you saw what I looked like half the time when I'm recording these podcasts. But self-care is not optional. It has got to be centered in our lives for 
our ability to be present and to be kind and to be the person who we wish to be for the loved ones in our lives and for you know all the people we come into contact with self-care enables us to be the best version of ourselves as a yoga teacher i want to invite you to talk about self-care in a way that is more effective first of all than beauty rituals and number two more importantly more accessible Some people will find a manicure relaxing and rejuvenating, but is it really as effective as a yoga practice or a walk? That's a genuine question because I don't find it relaxing at all. For you, it might be, and it could be a component of your own self-care practice, but I hope it's clear from this podcast that I just want to encourage you not to frame it in those terms when you talk about it to your classes, when you talk about it publicly unless you maybe you have a niche of really privileged people and so you're consciously using privileged language that's okay Um, I think my my sense about being aware of language is that we're not doing these things unconsciously that we know who we're talking to and what kind of language is going to land with the people we're talking to also a caveat out there for someone anyone listening if you happen to be a manicurist and a hair or a hairstylist and a yoga teacher i get why you would call a manicure self-care i don't agree but i understand the necessity of attracting clients and this is a gray area i would not think twice i would not ask a manicurist to change their language What I'm asking is for yoga teachers to consider the impact of their language and how we can be more inclusive in sharing yoga with people who need it more than those people who have the money for a manicure. As a yoga teacher, I believe that using and educating our students on the nervous system definition of self-care is not only in our own best interest, but also the best interest of our students. That is ultimately why we become yoga teachers. We all know we are not doing it for the fame, we're not doing it for the fortune, because that is, it's a poor way of gaining fame and fortune. We're doing it because we believe that the tools of yoga really, truly bring comfort and peace to people who need it, to people who are suffering. I would love to hear your thoughts on self-care. I'd love to hear what self-care rituals you have and what self-care rituals you're working on cultivating, on developing. Let's continue the conversation on the Yoga Teacher Resource Facebook page. If you're not a member yet, go to teachingyoga.net slash join. That is all for today. Thank you so much for listening all the way through. Please remember, self-care is essential. It's not optional.